Welcome to the weekly sermons and studies podcast at First Baptist. Today's speaker is our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Reynolds. Let's pray together. And Lord, now as we turn to your word, we pray that Christ would be praised continually. Lord, we pray that as you shape us, as you form us, as you help to take the dead things out of us and bring to life what you want in us, that Christ would be praised not only on our lips, but also in our lives. And so, Lord, now, we pray that you would transform us by the renewing of our minds, that you would help us to grow in Christ as a result of our time in your word today. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. One of the gifts that God gives us is the gift of understanding who we are and why we're here. Understanding who we are and understanding why we're here, that's really our purpose. And I believe that purpose is a gift from God, that none of us can really live the sorts of lives that God wants us to live until we understand who we are and what we're here for. And for me, I can tell you that the the key defining factor of who I am is that I'm a child of God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. And that shapes everything else. That if you've repented of your sin and you've received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then you have been made by God through Christ a child of God. And that is the foundation from which you build the rest of your life. It's the foundation upon which I build my life, that 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 is the most important truth there is about me because it is the only truth that is eternal, that through Jesus Christ, I have been forgiven of my sin, and God looks upon me as his child. And I'm going to tell you, on the day that I die, that will be what matters most. So that's the most important thing. If you haven't gotten that taken care of in your life by, starting the, by crossing the starting line of faith and repenting of your sin and receiving Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that's what you need to get from the message today, that that's the most important thing. But then what flows from that is the life to which God has called me in particular, to live out my faith as a child of God within the context of, first, my relationship with my wife. I'm called to be Aaron's husband. And several years ago, almost 18 years ago now, we stood on an altar of a church and we made some promises to each other. In fact, we called them vows. And we said, we're in this no matter what, till death do we part, even when we don't like each other. That, we didn't say those words out loud because it makes the wedding less pretty. You know, you got all the flowers. But, but that's the point, right? We're, I'm, I'm in this with you. And I'm thankful that, that those vows have meaning because... There have been moments where we didn't like each other, but we love one another, and we're in it together. Through that union, God has called me to be father to two wonderful kids. And there's sometimes we don't like them either, and they don't like us either because they're both like teenagers and preteens now, and those are different species of humans. You you understand? But we love them. And we are committed to them, and we are called to be faithful to them. And, and, and a lot of times that means saying no. How many of you have found that being a parent, if you're going to be a good one, you have to learn to pronounce the word no? You say, well, isn't it loving if we just let them have the full expression of whatever they want to be? No, that's dumb. 
I don't know where we've bought into that in our 21st century American context. I should be able to do everything that I have an urge to do. Well, do you know both of my children have had urges that would have hindered their ability to survive? Like sticking metal objects into power outlets or like touching hot stoves. And you know what good parents have to do? They have to intervene with what natural urges seem to be right to their children because they have learned through the Bible that there's a way that seems right to a human being, but in the end it leads to death. Sometimes good parents have to say no. Sometimes God, as the ultimate good parent, has to say no. So that when we come to Christ, the one who died for us, really repenting of sin is saying, I will die to myself. That there are things in me, there are urges and temptations in me that seem natural to who I am as a human being, but I will die to those to follow your way for me, Jesus. And so if you're going to be a child of God in Christ, then you have to be willing to die to yourself, die to your urges, die to whatever identity you might try to assume so that you can assume the most fundamental identity, and that is, I'm a child of God in Jesus Christ my Lord. And Jesus Christ is my Lord, so what he says, and incidentally, it's not just the red letters. What he says starts in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and ends at the end of Revelation 22, just in case anybody's wondering. What he says is not only formative, but it's normative for my life. This is the standard to which I'm called to live. So I have my identity rooted in Christ, and that compels me to live out my purpose in Christ. And when you have your purpose, which is your gift from God, so for me, again, child of God in Christ, husband to my wife, father to my children, and for such a time as this, until the Lord says otherwise, I, I get to serve as the pastor of First Baptist Church. All of those things are a part of my identity to which God has called me, and that gives me the purpose that I'm to live out. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, it's everything we've been talking about all year long. It's the little decisions that we make along the way, that I am making decisions according to the fact that I'm the pastor, or I'm, the, I'm a child of God through Jesus Christ. I'm the husband of my wife, I'm father to my children, and I'm the pastor of First Baptist Church. All those things shape the decisions that I make. And that's the way it is for all of us as we trust and follow Jesus. Those truths shape us and give us purpose. So, so what does all this lead to? Well, it leads to an intentionality in the way that we live our lives. The last decade for me has really been a decade of focusing on being intentional. You know, I kind of had a physical transformation, and part of that, again, comes back from being a, a child of God in Christ, that I am a steward of the body that He's entrusted to my care. God gave me this body. He knit me together inside my mother's womb from the moment of conception. God was putting me together, and he has said, take care of yourself. Well, for a long time, I didn't take care of myself. I made choices that were not in accordance with a faithful stewardship of the body that he's given me. So, recognizing that first I'm his child, I am living in the body that he's built for me, I belong to him, now I'm going to be intentional about the decisions I make that lead to physical consequences in my life. I don't want to make decisions that are going to lead me down negative paths. No, I want to make decisions that are going to lead me in the way that he would have me to go. So, that means I get up early in the morning and I go work out. And some days I don't feel like it. In fact, Friday I was on a run. And every minute of that run was miserable. I didn't like it. And I had to get in my own head when my head was battling against me. Have you ever had to do that? You ever get in your own head? 
because my body was screaming, will you just quit and walk, please? Now, I wasn't injured. If you're injured, you should listen to that, and you should, you should accommodate that. I wasn't injured. I was just tired. And I had to start talking to myself, saying, no, I'm not the kind of person that quits when it gets hard. I'm the kind of person that stops when it's finished. And so I kept telling myself that on and on throughout, and finally I got to where I was supposed to be and was able to stop, not because I was tired, but because it was finished, right? When I, when I get up and I read God's Word, I'm going to tell you, there are times when I don't feel like diving into God's Word, particularly through Leviticus. I know, I'm right there with you. You don't become a pastor and all of a sudden enjoy hearing all the food laws and dietary restrictions and all that kind of stuff, or, or reading through numbers and all the generations. Now, what do you do? You say, God, I know there's truth here that you're communicating to me because your whole Word is true. It's not that the Bible has truth in it, but that the Bible is true from Genesis all the way to Revelation and everywhere in between. So speak your truth to me, and, and, and you begin to learn. You know, generations matter, and not many people will care about your generations, but you do, and God does. And so those generations matter. God is telling his story and allowing that history to unfold before us. And so there's intentionality. I'm going to read God's Word. Jordan and I are going to partner and we're going to pray for each other every day, and we're going, to, we're going to model that connection time on the podcast every week for the next several weeks. Why? Because there's intentionality. It's the little decisions that are based upon what God's called me to be and what God's called me to do. I want to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, because we're going to see Jesus, who was sent from heaven with purpose, send his disciples out with purpose. And here's what we're going to see. Remember, we're in, a, we're in a series entitled, Jesus Is. So it's not just that Jesus did this, it's that Jesus is still doing this. He's still sending his disciples out with purpose. And we're going to see that purpose today. So our theme today is Jesus is sent from God, and Jesus is sending me. Luke chapter 10, if you're in the Red Pew Bible in front of you, that is page 868. And, and really, if you go halfway down or so through the passage to verse 16, that's going to be the source of our first point. So our first point comes from Luke 10, 16. Let me just read it to you. Jesus is speaking, and he says, the one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So our first point today is this, Jesus has been sent from God. Jesus has been sent from God. Y'all know the Gaither song. I won't sing it, but I'll quote it. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. I bet we'll sing that tonight at Vespers. It's just so good. He came to love, heal, and forgive, right? You know, God sent his son. It's, it's the truth that we proclaim every time we read what used to be the end zone verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, John's gospel really focuses on that in John 4, 34, when Jesus is talking with his disciples after he's interacted with the woman at the well, and they're asking, do you, do you have any food? And he says to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. What is Jesus communicating? I'm here with purpose. 
And my purpose is to do the will of my Father who art in heaven. And that means that I'm going to interact with people like the woman at the well that you all wouldn't have me interact with because I'm breaking some cultural norms by interacting with her, but I've come with a higher purpose. And my purpose is to seek and save the lost. And this Samaritan woman was lost, but now she's been found. I'm here to do the will of the one who sent me. Or in John chapter 5, Jesus says, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Jesus is saying that if we believe him, we believe the Father. If we do not believe Jesus, then we do not know the Father. We don't understand Almighty God, because Almighty God, the Father in heaven, has sent Jesus, who is God the Son, to come to earth. John 6, 37 through 40, Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Repeatedly, Jesus talks about coming to do the will of the one who sent him, to reveal to us who is the one who sent him. No one had ever seen God, John would say in the prologue to his gospel, but the only begotten Son of God, Jesus, he reveals God to us. Why? Because he came not to do his own will, but the will of the one who sent him. Jesus has been sent from God to us. Well, now look with me at verses 1 through 9. Go back to the beginning of Luke 10, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 9. Jesus uh, is sending his disciples. Luke records this as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Our second point, Jesus sends us with his message. Jesus sends us with his message. And what is his message? Jesus' message is that the kingdom of God has come, and it has come through Jesus. The kingdom of God has come. It has come through Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus begins his ministry by saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Well, what is the kingdom of God? I want to give you a quote from theologian J.I. Packer that I think Packer does a phenomenal job in his concise theology. 
explaining to us what the kingdom of God really is. He says, the theme of the kingdom of God runs through both Testaments, focusing God's purpose for world history. In the Old Testament times, God declared that He would exercise His kingship by setting up His kingdom or His rule and reign over people's lives and circumstances under His chosen king, who would be the Davidic Messiah. In a golden age of blessing, this kingdom came with Jesus, the Messiah, as a worldwide relational reality existing wherever the lordship of Jesus is acknowledged in repentance, faith, and a new obedience. Jesus, the Spirit-anointed, Spirit-filled, ruler-designate, died, rose, ascended, and is now enthroned in heaven as ruler over all things, King of kings and Lord of lords. The golden age of blessing is an era of present spiritual benefit, salvation from sin and fellowship with God, leading to a future state of unmixed joy in a reconstructed universe. The kingdom is present in its beginnings, though future in its fullness. In one sense, it is here already, but in the richest sense, it is still to come. So what is the kingdom of God? Well, it is the rule and reign of Almighty God in the hearts of His people. And that is not pervasive throughout the planet yet. But the day is coming when Christ returns, the church is gathered, those who are outside the church are judged. In the new heavens and the new earth where the rule of Almighty God through Jesus Christ will be pervasive, there will be nowhere in the universe, in the cosmos, in which the reign of Christ is not honored. It's going to be beautiful. But that has begun in our hearts now. Jesus reigns over us now. That's why we say we would die to ourselves. You know, that's why as, as Aaron's husband, I'm faithful to Aaron. I die to any other temptation or urge that is not in accordance with what God has called me to be. I die to any other temptation or urge that is not in accordance with what God has revealed in His Word, all the way from Genesis to the end of Revelation. That is the kingly rule and reign of Christ in me, and if you're a follower of Jesus, then that is the kingly rule and reign of Christ in you. You say, well, the world doesn't always agree with the Lord. Well, can I encourage you? From Genesis chapter 3 on, the world has not agreed with the Lord. From Genesis chapter 3 on, if you're going to trust and follow Almighty God, then that would put you on the wrong side of history according to a world that doesn't understand God. It would put you on the wrong side of what is culturally palatable in this moment because the world didn't understand. They still don't understand. You say, well, how do we, how do we get that understanding to them? We welcome them to Jesus because just like me and just like you, they won't get it until they get him. Jesus is sending out his disciples into a world that didn't understand God, into a world that didn't want Jesus. And he's giving them instructions on how to live, sent with this message, and he would give them that same message just before he ascended into heaven. He tells us, his disciples, to go and preach the gospel to the whole creation. That's Mark 16, 15. 
In Luke 24, he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Meaning not only that they have seen those things and heard those things, but they are called to proclaim those things. In John 20, 21, Jesus said, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And in Acts, he said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. Jesus is sending his followers with his message, and he's doing that still today. Packer, J.I. Packer, continues by saying this, the task of the church is to make the invisible kingdom visible through faithful Christian living and witness-bearing. The gospel of Christ is still the gospel of the kingdom. The good news of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit through entering a disciple's relationship to the living Lord. The church must, must make its message credible by manifesting the reality of kingdom life. So in other words, what do we do? We go from this place and we live out our faith before others in a way that illustrates the kingly rule of Christ in me and the amazing love of Jesus to which I have responded. For it is his kindness that has led me to repentance. And it is his kindness that has led you to repentance. The Bible tells us that. And it is his kindness expressed through us that will lead others to repentance. It's an amazing thing. Verse 10. Jesus continues, but whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will be exalted to heaven. You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Our third point, Jesus sends us with his authority. Jesus sends us with his authority. Jesus exhibited authority in his earthly ministry and his teaching that they were all amazed at him. Why were they amazed? Because he didn't teach like the scribes and religious leaders. He taught as one having authority. And then when even demon-possessed people came up to him, Jesus had authority even over the demonic realm. And they had a hard time wrapping their minds around it, the people who saw this happening. Even the demons are subject to him. 
What is Jesus doing? He's giving his followers authority to go out. Now, this does not mean that we tempt the Spirit by taking up snakes or by drinking poison. Am I clear on that? Can we have an amen on that? That's why you're actually here, right? We don't handle snakes. If we did, you'd be even further to the back than you are right now. But what is he saying? He's saying that as you go to carry out this calling, George Whitfield put it like this, you are immortal until God's purpose has been fulfilled in your life. How about that? You know what that means? You're not going home to heaven until God says he's ready for you. His purpose must be fulfilled in your life. Now, you don't get to decide what his purpose is for your life. He decides that. That's pretty remarkable. And as the disciples were sent out, you remember all the danger that they had? They were imprisoned. They were beaten. They were accused. They were, Paul even had a, a venomous viper attach itself to his hand. And what did he do? Shook it off. This is not going out and saying, watch me pick up this snake. No, it's as I'm carrying out my purpose, God will take care of me. As I'm doing what God's called me to do, he will make sure that I'm able to do what he's called me to do until such a time that he calls me home. And if you're in Christ, that time when he calls you home is not a tragedy. It's homegoing. From the other side, it's homecoming. As the angels rejoice and all those who've gone before you, those wonderful saints who lived out their faith and then God called them home, as you go home to them, what a day of rejoicing that will be. And so we remind ourselves of these truths as we live out the faith because living out the faith is not easy. Now listen, there was a day when if you wanted to gain some cultural capital, you went and you became a member of the First Baptist Church of Bowling Green, Kentucky. You wanted to establish a business, you wanted to run a bank, you wanted to run for office, you wanted to be a respectable citizen within the community, you better go and join the First Baptist Church no matter what you believe. Well, those days are over. Have you all found that identifying yourself with Jesus is no longer the source of cultural capital that it once was? No, no, now you're a bigot. You hold to archaic teachings that are not progressive enough to be in step with the world as it is. Let me remind you, they've never been progressive enough to be in step with the world as it is. They are completely out of step with the world as it is and always will be until the return of Christ. But you're making a decision. I'm making a decision. I trust and follow Jesus. He's worth it all. And if there's reproach to bear, it is nothing like the reproach he bore for me when they pushed him outside of the gates of the city and crucified him on Golgotha's hill. No, if there's reproach to bear, I will bear it gladly. I will die to myself. The urges that seem so natural and so intrinsic to me, I will die to them because he has called me to live higher. I will live a life that exhibits that I am under the lordship of Jesus the King. And his kingdom dwells within me. Why? Because his reign extends over me, his reign to which I submit gladly, willingly, because he is Lord over all, and he is Lord over me. So I'll trust him, and I'll follow him, even when it gets tough, even when the world doesn't agree. I will 
still love every human being with the love of Jesus because that's exactly what he did. I will live with intentionality the purpose to which he's called me. Because just as he was sent from heaven to earth, so has he sent me into the world. And, and if you're in Christ, he sent you into the world to illustrate his kingdom reign because the kingdom of God is at hand. The call is to repent and believe the gospel. The very first words with which Jesus inaugurated his ministry, turn away from what seems right to you and turn toward Christ, who is right, who is king, who is Lord, and surrender yourself to him. For when you do, you will find the only true life the only full and abundant life, the only remedy for the brokenness our world is trapped in, you will find life everlasting in Jesus. That's the purpose that we have. The foundation upon which our lives are being built as children of Almighty God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we live out that faith day by day and welcome everybody to come to Jesus and do the same. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. We'd love to connect with you. Just email connect at firstbaptistbg.org or call 270-842-0331.